0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Wisdom and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Boucher, and this is where we cut through the Christianese and tradition-based thoughts that hinder us from the limitless lifestyles that we, as actual children of God, are designed to walk in. So let's go ahead and dive into the Word and see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. ...on the old. So what I have to do is I have to get in the Word. In verse 12, <clears throat> a very familiar verse, um, it says here, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. So here he says in verse 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So what he's saying that when you, when you have something you're expecting and then you get disappointed uh, or frustration comes because you didn't get what you wanted, then there's something that happens to your heart. Your heart actually takes on sickness. There, there is a virus that happens. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm not talking about the thing that pumps blood. I'm talking about your spiritual heart. Right, Jesus said it in Matthew chapter twelve that the good man of the good treasure of his heart produces good things, and the evil man evil things. And and we know that in in Proverbs it says to guard your heart with all diligence, because out of it proceeds the issues of life. Everything's coming out of your heart, you know. And uh, and and you know, just as much as your physical heart pumps blood, your your spiritual heart pumps everything else into your life. It actually is a pump from the unseen realm into the seen realm, and. Um, and the thing is, though, that, that that disappointment can make that heart sick. You know, I, there was a... It just reminded me of an account that happened with Rachel's mom. Um, she... Uh, this is right... I mean, right before we got married. Uh, Rachel's mom was in Israel on a trip with Billy Brim Ministries over in Israel. And um, and she actually cut her, her trip like a day or short or so so that she could come back for our wedding. And um, so... But... Just after our wedding, and all of that, she um, uh, she she went to get checked out at the doctor's, and the reason why is she said is because she, when she was on the trip to Israel, they were you know they were doing a lot of walking, a lot of different things, just sightseeing and, and touring things and stuff like that, and there was this hill that everybody was just walking up. She goes, it wasn't overly steep; it was just a hill, you know, whatever. And they were going to the top of the hill to look at something, and she so she started up on that walk, and she said she got up a little ways on it, and she couldn't she just couldn't do it. She said her, her, she had no strength. She just couldn't make it up the hill. And so she sat you know on something and just kind of waited for everybody to go up. And she goes, she knew something was definitely wrong when she wanted to go up the hill, but she couldn't. Well, after some time, you know, and she got herself checked out and everything after our wedding and all that, um, she found out that, they, that she had a tumor inside of her heart that was the size of a tennis ball. And that's, that's kind of ridiculous, the size of a tennis ball. okay? And uh, and that tumor, now understand, it wasn't her muscles, as far as it wasn't her leg muscles or anything else that stopped her from hiking up that hill. It wasn't that she didn't have a desire to hike up the hill. It wasn't that she couldn't take breath in her lungs. Her lungs weren't, weren't the problem. The problem was her heart. And so her heart overrode the strength of her muscles. The, her heart, the condition of her heart, overrode her desire to do it the condition of her heart overrode the uh uh you know the the, the her ability to take in enough air to to walk, walk up the hill you know the, so so the condition of her heart even overrode her brain that was sending signals that was telling her to go up the hill right so the condition of her heart overrode all of those things we need to get a hold of this that spiritually the condition of our hearts the condition of our hearts can override a lot of things. Even though we desire things to happen, even though we want to see the kingdom of God, even though we want to see higher thoughts and higher ways, even though we want to see revival and outpouring and all of that, even though we want all these things, and even though, you know, even even if our faith could be strong enough to believe for certain things, if our heart has got a virus or something in it. Now, let me just tell you, Rachel's mom. She ended up having a surgery and got the tumor removed, and she was okay and all that. Praise God! That was all. That was amazing. But, um, uh, but under, I just want us to understand this though. That what, here it says, "Hope deferred makes my heart sick." That there's frustration and disappointment that will actually begin to make my heart sick. Now, with, like with Rachel's mom, that tumor didn't just show up overnight. That it didn't just. Suddenly, bam! It was the size of a tennis ball. It started off small, and then it grew and grew and grew. This is how disappointment and frustration happens: is it it, it starts off small, and then it grows and grows. But what I've seen is that you know I've been saved a long time. You know, uh, compared to some, you know, compared to others, not long at all, obviously. But um, uh, but I've been saved a while, and I've been in ministry a while, and you know how many prophecies I've heard. Do you know how many words I've... I'm not just talking about spoken over me. I mean, there's obviously quite a few over me personally. But I'm just talking about corporately for the body of Christ, for for churches and cities and, and, and nations. I mean, there's so many, so many prophecies that have been spoken. And when you hear the prophecy, you should get excited. Praise God. You know, you should understand it's the word of the Lord. But what happens when that expectation doesn't come to pass the way you believed it was going to now and i I, like I said i am not one i i don't like to put fake things on as far as here's what i've seen in the past is i've seen where you know the word of the Lord comes, prophecy is spoken, people are excited, things are going on, people are speaking and praying into stuff, and then you know, a year goes by, two years goes by, three years goes by, and you have like 10% of what the word said. You know, I'm talking in relative terms, obviously, but you don't have what the what what the prophecy you don't have what you expected, you don't have the fulfillment, you don't have everything that you thought it was going to be. And so what happens is your mind begins to say, tries to judge justify things tries to make excuses tries to say well uh, you know it kind of worked out you know and and, and it we put a big faith face on and says, well, yeah, it actually was, you know, you know, this is actually what God wanted and we must misunderstood something. I, no, I, I think that's a bunch of nonsense. I think God knows what he says, when he says it, and I believe he always has exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. I believe he always has higher than what we can expect. I believe he wants to do way more than we ever could expect. And so when we begin to have prophecy after prophecy, expectation after expectation, promise after promise, disappointed, then it says here, hope deferred makes my heart sick. And those things will begin to define how I walk out every other prophecy in the future, how I walk out every other promise, how I how I walk out the word of God for myself, because... I've, I hit a cycle, a repetitive cycle of frustration, and that repetitive cycle of frustration will make my heart sick to where I, now suddenly I can't even make things come to pass that I want to come to pass. I can't even believe, I can't even do, when, because that, that my heart is overriding my faith, it's overriding you know, even, even the, the Word of God in my life, it's overriding things. Because the good man, of the good treasure produces good things, and the evil man, evil things. And out of my, out of the bunch of my heart, my mouth will speak, and and you know all these things. So, my point is this: is that you know if we understand, uh, you know even you know thinking about how many prophecies were spoken about concerning Jesus, hundreds of them, right? It's very specific and very amazing prophecies concerning Jesus. And he came, and he fulfilled all the prophecies. Praise God! He fulfilled them all. Okay, so it wasn't the question of whether or not the prophecy was fulfilled. The question is now. He, obviously, he still has some to fulfill. I'm not, you know, he still has to come back and all that stuff. But as far as I'm talking about his birth and his ministry and the prophecies concerning those things, he's fulfilled them all. Uh, when it comes to his earthly ministry, now, how many people in Israel? were believing for him to do all of that. They all were, right? They were all believing for him to come and, you know, do whatever the word says he was gonna do. They were all praying into it and, and actively pursuing it and looking for the Messiah and praying for the Messiah and, and wanting the Messiah and needing the they were, but how many actually received it when he showed up? Even though the work's been finished, it doesn't mean everybody receives it. Even though the prophecy's been fulfilled doesn't mean everybody receives it. And so, what I want is I want us to realize that, that one of the main reasons why people don't receive things is has to do with the, our past. Our past has, has contaminated and corrupted our heart so that we don't know how to receive fully what God wants to do. And so, as we begin to walk out prophecies given to us, you know, the word spoken, my, ex- my excitement is not going to make that come to pass. Okay, my my need or desire for that is not going to make it come. Everybody in Israel had need. Everybody in Israel had desire. Everybody in Israel wanted the Messiah to come to pass. And what's the, the, the vast percentage of, of Israelites are still wanting the Messiah to come when he already came and fulfilled it. The freedom is already theirs, rightfully theirs. But n- very few percentage actually received it. And so, I just don't want that to be us, praise God. I don't want that to be what we're doing when we're looking at prophecies. Now, let's look over in, in, uh, in, in um, Luke, excuse me, in Luke. And we can see, obviously, one of the, the people that definitely received the promise and was a big part of the promise was Mary, right? And so, if we look over in Luke chapter 1. And uh, and so I'm just trying to talk about, like, what is it that we're going to need to do here to begin to um, give ourselves a a platform for success when it comes to seeing the prophetic word come into our lives? Because just hearing it is not enough. All of Israel heard. Okay? Just wanting it is not enough. Desiring it is not enough. I mean, even, like I said, I'm I'm not... Um, belittling the power of prayer. Prayer prayer is so vitally important. But just praying is not enough because prayer, all of Israel was praying. You know, you had so many people praying. It's so many people who knew the word, so many people who knew the prophecy, so many people, but they didn't receive it. So once again, I I believe it has to do with the condition of our heart. And so we need to reconcile some things and and get some things dealt with. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 here, and it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph uh, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying, casting her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the, the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Praise God. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month um, with her, who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Man, praise God. I mean, this is amazing. Here, here she is. She is about to walk in what eye has never seen and ear has never heard. Right? No one has ever had a child uh, outside of you know a, a physical relationship with a uh, with a man. You know, as far as you know, no one's gotten pregnant uh, by the power of God. No one's ever heard of that. No one's ever seen that. No one's, I mean, this is what I has not seen nor ear heard. And yet she readily simply says, okay. I mean, when 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 you know the angel says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. She says, Okay, you're right. Nothing's impossible with God, so let's go. I man, this is such humility. I love Mary. Because here she is. She now, this is the first thing that we have to understand: is that she had to shift her perspective of her role in the prophecy. Now, what I mean by that is this: she is obviously an Israel, is, you know, an Israeli and Israelite. She is believing for the Messiah, just like all of her countrymen. She is desiring the Messiah, wanting the Messiah. She knows she needs the Messiah because she's just as lost in sin as everybody else. She is. You know, just as trapped in the law of sin and death as anybody else, right here, right? There's no difference between her, and, and she's not even a priest. She's not a, a, she's not of the Levitical priesthood. She's not, a, a, you know, a Pharisee. She's nobody. She's not a ruler of the synagogue. She's none of that. She is a common young girl who is engaged to be married, and that's about it. And yet, she or she, here's what I want to get at is in, the, in this moment of time, as the angel speaks to her, she has to go from somebody who needs the prophecy to be fulfilled to rescue her, she has to go from that attitude to understanding that she has a role in the prophecy. So now, she is not just somebody who's looking at the prophecy to rescue her, she's part of the rescue plan. She's part of the prophecy okay this is huge this is this is step number one we have got to change our perspective and yes brand new i haven't even used this one yet um but you know nail gun now this is a you know nail guns are an amazing tool right nail guns can do things very very quickly and uh and the thing is though is let's say Let's say that you're somebody who needs a wall built in your house. That you need a wall built, right? You need a, you need it framed. You need you know two by fours put up. You need some sheetrock, but whatever. First thing you need to do is you need to have a, you need to have the, the, the framing done. The two by fours put up. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the thing is though, um, if if you're somebody who's like that and you have no knowledge of tools, you have no knowledge of tools. You don't know how to do anything. You know uh, that in, in that in that vein. Uh, You're not familiar with tools or how to build things or anything like that. You have no construction background, but you need a wall built. Now suddenly, somebody walks up and gives you this nail gun. They give you this nail gun. Now here's what you would do with that nail gun is, I mean, you can maybe try to use it, but if you don't know anything about construction, you don't even know what you need to use this nail gun. You know it's a cool tool, but you don't know what it even requires. You don't know that it requires a compressor, what size of compressor, what size of hose, what size of nails goes in it. The fact that you have to plug the compressor in, you know, you have to actually do certain things, Uh, how to load the nails. All of that stuff is totally outside of your context of thinking. And so when somebody gives you a nail gun and they go, this is what's going to build the wall. Praise God. Now what happens is, people who don't know anything about construction, they'll take that nail gun and they'll be like, oh, glory to God, thank you for the nail gun. And now they look at that nail gun and they're looking at it like, man, someday somebody's going to come and use that nail gun to build, my, to build my wall. I have a nail gun and someday somebody's going to come and use that. And praise God. See, that's how most people view prophecy. Most people view prophecy as a rescue plan. Most people now, here's, here's what I'm saying, is that if we still have the attitude... Of prophecy of like yay finally God's gonna do something to rescue me from my situation God's going to do something to change my situation finally that is a rescue mentality that is not Mary's mentality it was that morning but after understand after the After this angel came by, this was no longer Mary's mentality. Mary was not waiting for somebody to come and do something. Mary's like, I'm part of the plan, praise God. You see, we have to shift this. So if I took that same nail gun and I gave it to somebody like Michael, who does construction, who's a contractor, if I gave him the same nail gun, he wouldn't look at like, he would not look at that, that nail gun thinking someday somebody's going to come and use it. He's going to say, no, glory to God. He looked at that nail going, imagine what I can build with this. Imagine what I can do with this. And he begins thinking of the project and putting it to use and actually actively using it. You see, now this is what we're supposed to do with prophecy. We're not supposed to look at it like a rescue plan, like, oh, one of these days, finally, God's going to do something to get me out of my situation. No, we can't look at it that way. The word says very clearly in Timothy that I have to wage a good warfare with the prophecies given to me, right? That means that they're a tool in my hand. They are something that I'm supposed to take and actually use and and like I said, they're not there to rescue me. I use the prophecies to help reconcile others. I help I use it to help rescue other people. But they're not just simply something that is there to rescue me. They are a tool in my hand. Now, if if I don't see it that way, then um, then I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm not gonna understand my role in the prophecy I w- I'll still be waiting for somebody to do something be waiting for God waiting for God waiting for God to fulfill his word instead of taking his word and actively being a part of its fulfillment in the earth Mary became a part of the fulfillment of God's plan in the earth Daniel when he read the word of God uh, and he saw 70 years was up and they were in Babylon he saw they were only supposed to be there 70 years he took the word of God and he actually allowed allowed himself to be a part of the word being fulfilled in the earth you know we, this is what we have to do we have to take the prophecy and say okay what is my part in this this is not here to rescue me this is not here because if i'm if i need to be rescued then i don't understand that i've already been redeemed you understand? I don't need to be rescued. I've been redeemed. Glory to God. The word says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right? We have to understand that we are, we are already bought with a price. We are already the head, not the tail. We're above and not beneath. That's who we are. We're see with him in heavenly places. That's who we are. Praise God. We're ambassadors for Christ. See... I'm not a refugee on this planet. I'm an ambassador for the kingdom. Glory to God. And so we need to understand that, that he gives us things called the prophetic word, not just simply to excite us about what's going to come, but, I mean, he actually... Mary had to adjust her position very quickly and say, okay, this is not... Now suddenly I'm a part of the, of, of the word of God. I'm not just somebody who's going to receive the word. I'm going to actually walk it out. Now the obstacle to... And this is what I had talked about earlier. The obstacle, though, to, to seeing the Word of God or the prophecy of, of God properly is going to be my past. The, the role that my past takes in my life is going to become a filter for how I see everything. And this is something, that, like I said, this is what the Lord talked to me about, was reconciling our past, finding, breaking the back of our past, and seeing what we're supposed to do with it. Now, um, uh, what happens is, you know that our past has such a loud voice and um, and what the louder that voice gets the more my past holds my heart hostage and so I begin thinking that you know maybe somebody owes me something or you know usually what we end up thinking in the back of our mind we don't usually say this but we actually feel like God owes us something for you know something that we're missing now we understand that when I start talking about our past It doesn't even matter if you had a good past or a bad past okay it doesn't matter if you had a great childhood or not a great childhood i'm not talking about that um uh, rachel and i we came from totally different backgrounds totally different backgrounds here she was brought up in a super conservative home um you know in missouri the bible belt was brought up going to church but still, she didn't even get saved till she was 18, even though she was brought up going to church. Um, but still, she was, she, was, she was raised in a very uber-conservative culture, small town, you know, very close-knit family, all of that, you know. And um, here I am, not so much, right? I remember when I was like, I don't know, I was probably 14 or something like that. And I just remember one time I was trying to think of if I knew anybody, uh, any of my friends, if I knew anybody that, um, as far as just in, in my peer group, that didn't come from, um, you know, like a divorced home, you know, have step parents or whatever. I was trying to think of anybody that still had their original parents. And I couldn't think of one person. I couldn't think of one person. And I remember thinking of a bunch of people, and I couldn't think of one person in my peer group uh, that that came that still had their original parents. Now, Rachel, she couldn't hardly think of anybody who had been divorced. Now you understand, we come from totally different cultures. You know, she came from this Uber Bible Belt. You understand Oregon not the Bible belt not even close to the bible belt. We're not the suspenders. We're not the, the the shoe. I I don't even know what we were, we are, but we're not the bible belt, okay? We're not any of that. We are so drastically different in our upbringing. Okay, but what happens is understand this. Do you know what I have to do daily to walk in and and to to appropriate the kingdom of God in my life? I have to Renew my mind in the Word of God, yield myself to the Holy Ghost, and actually trust that God is Lord. Right? That Jesus is Lord of all and that God is my Father. I have to trust all of that. I have to humble myself to the Word of God. Renew my mind in the Word of God. Spend time with the with the Father. Allow the Holy Ghost to lead me and guide me in all truth. That's how I have to walk in the kingdom. How do you think Rachel has to walk in the kingdom? She has to do it the exact same way. She has to renew her mind. She has to humble herself. She has to bow her knee to the blood, to the Holy Ghost, to communion with him, to prayer time, all that stuff. We both come in the kingdom the exact same way no matter where we came from. No matter where anybody came from, we come into the kingdom the same way. It's still humility. Humility is... You understand? Because there's only one door. His name is Jesus. There's only one way. That is, It doesn't matter how... Great you were raised. It doesn't matter how great your past was or how terrible your past was. None of that has anything to do with your future because your future is defined by Jesus. Praise God. He is the author and the finisher of my faith. He who began the work is faithful to complete it. Praise God. We have to get that though. But if I'm still allowing my past to have a voice, then then the problem is that my I become a victim to my past. And so my heart will... Um, Will be held hostage by my past. So my perspectives of life, my perspectives of of you know what the uh, um, what the future holds, my perspective of how I see the Word of God is going to be filtered by how what what position my past has in my life. Now that's one. So so number one, you know, I was talking about Mary and you know how we have to change our we have to change. Our perspective of the prophecy its not a rescue plan, it's a tool in our hand, okay? Not a rescue plan, it's a tool in our hand. We are part of the redemptive plan of God for the earth. We are part of that, okay? And what the, the only way I'm going to become a part of that, though, is I have to contextualize my past properly. Because if my past is not contextualized properly, then neither will my future be. My future won't have the right context. The prophecies won't have the right context. The Word won't have the right context. And so, now here's what happens. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're growing up and when you, you know, like I said, you, uh, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of background you come from. I was talking to, to somebody, um, well, well, let me get into this here real quick. Um, okay, so it like looks, it doesn't matter what kind of background you come from, we have to, we have to understand that our soul always tries to make sense of our past. Because our soul requires that stability to to know why things happened and all this other stuff. And so, now our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so, we have an intellectual side of our soul, we have an emotional side of our soul. Okay, now, uh, depending on your personality, uh, you know, you're, you're typically going to draw from one over the other. Either you're going to be more emotionally led, or you're going to be more analytically led, and that just depends on your personality type. Um, it's it's you know just how it is, whatever. And and it doesn't matter. It just means there's pros and cons to those things, and you have to find out which way you lean. Either you lean analytically or you lean emotionally, and you have to purpose to lean the other way. You have to purpose to actually uh, value both. Okay, but both have to be. Uh, renewed by the holy spirit both have to be renewed by the word of god okay now um now here's the thing though if, if you know however i grew up um, you know we, we need to understand that that if if i went through hurtful things which in the world you do in the world you go through pain you go through hurt it doesn't even matter how your parents raise you you know that, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily i'm not I'm not devaluing that, don't get me wrong. It's important to raise up a child in the way they should go, right? We, we know that, okay? Uh, but what I'm saying is that you still go through hurt and pain um, to, to some degree, even if you have great parents. Even if you have, if you have perfect parents, the world is still the world. The devil's still the devil, okay? And there are still going to be things there that will disappoint, that will frustrate, that will hurt you, that, that you know, will attach themselves, try to attach themselves to your soul. Now emotionally, if you try to deal with your past emotionally because maybe that's just the way you lean, maybe you lean emotionally, then, then typically what happens is, is your emotions will try to control your memories um, and how it does that. And it, funny, you learn that this doesn't work. Because what the emotions want to do, the emotions want to hold on to good memories and forget bad memories. That's what the emotion wants to do. So it tries to control that. It tries to control what you forget and what you remember. And so it tries to remember the joy of good memories, but it, at the same time it tries to, to totally forget the bad memories. I don't know if you've noticed that, but, the, the, but your emotional soul has no capacity to do that. It, it doesn't, It the, the emotional part of your soul cannot compartmentalize. It doesn't have the function of compartmentalization. It does, that is the wrong department, okay? It's like, um, I mean, guys, if you're married, you find that out right away that you, that that the emotional part of your wife doesn't compartmentalize, okay? It is all one big giant melting pot. It is all, everything is somehow interconnected emotionally. You know what I'm talking about? Everything is. And so it's all just big. And so for you to try to look at your past and to try to forget certain parts and to remember certain, hold on to certain parts and not, it's not going to work that way. It won't work. Your soul doesn't function that way, and so what happens is is that when when people are trying to do that, they realize right away that doesn't work. And so what happens is then the soul, uh, to to try to make up for that, it tries to control. Uh, your emotions will try to control every situation that you're in, and so you'll become controlling and distrustful, because now when you realize that you cannot compartmentalize and segregate your memory now suddenly you say okay well if that's the case then I'm not going to give myself the 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 position to ever be heard again And so you become controlling over relationships and over experiences and over uh, of situations in life. You become very distrustful where you don't trust people because you've been hurt so many times that you just can't give everybody your full trust because, you know, uh, at risk of being hurt again. And that's what happens when your emotions have tried to manage your past. Your emotions aren't meant to manage your past. Now, that's one side, right? One side of your soul is your emotions. Okay, now like I said, they're not the enemy. They're not. They're just not supposed to be in charge. Now, the other side of your soul is your intellect. is, is your analytical part. That's the side that I come from, as far as more being more analytically led. So, when you're analytically led, uh, the 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 in, analytical part of your of your soul, um, how it tries to manage your past is it tries to make sense of your past, and. Um, So it tries to come up with justifications for your past to create some kind of reasonable value to your past. Because if it has a reasonable value, then you can live with it. You can say, oh, it had to happen because of this. It had to happen because this is the value that I got out of it. And this is where, honestly, this is where a lot of false doctrine, um, a lot of uh, soulish nonsense comes out and people oh my goodness this hurts a lot of people when they do this control and distrust out of your emotion will hurt you too but this will be just as just as detrimental people just don't know it because it it makes your soul it, it appeases your soul and so and this is what this sounds like um sounds like you know obviously if you're not saved you come up with with nonsense sayings like um if it doesn't kill me it makes me stronger you know That's not true. I don't care even if Kelly Clarkson sings that song over and over again doesn't make it any more true okay it's not true what doesn't what doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger you understand that 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 that's trying to validate your past it's trying to give it value it's trying to say well I needed that to happen so now I'm stronger now now I know a lot of people who've been through a lot of things and they're no stronger for it they're weaker for it okay it hurt them it it stole from there and robbed from them now they're now they don't trust as much now they don't they don't invest as much now they, they they don't serve as hard, you know, because of their past. So that's not a true statement. That's just something that your soul comes up with. Okay, it's not in the Bible anywhere. The Bible doesn't say well, it doesn't kill you. There's, there's no that's not in the Bible. Okay, and the Word of God is truth. So now the, the other thing though is is um, you know just like I said, as your intellect, as your analytical brain begins to try to process these things, it says, well, um, uh, maybe. Um, It has to do with, that's the way that I learned. I learned a lot of lessons through that. Okay. Um, People can learn from their past. I'm not going to say they can't. Because people definitely can learn from their past. But, not the best teacher. It's not the highest. It's not the best. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, then you're going to be learning from your past. But if you have the Holy Spirit, then you should be learning from the Holy Ghost. He leads me and guides me into all truth, right? He's my teacher. Okay, the, my past is not my teacher. You know, I was thinking on, you know, just some of the stupid things I did over the years. Um, most of these things I did before I was married, because, um, anyway, uh, I'm sure Rachel wouldn't appreciate <laughs> uh, all that, but um, I'm also sure she's probably thankful that uh, I got over all the non a lot of the nonsense not all of it most of it before I got married um but I remember we were, I was just thinking on a couple of things I did I remember one time with my car uh, my uh, my uh, uh fuel pump uh, something well it wasn't actually it wasn't wrong with my fuel pump there was just there was a clog in my fuel line going back to my gas tank and so I got this one gallon gas can and I, I, it fit uh, just almost perfectly by my battery, uh, in you know next to my engine. And I, I placed that one gallon gas can there, and I put a tube down in that and put it right up to my fuel filter. I mean my, my fuel pump, so I could get gas to my engine because my fuel line was clogged. Now you understand it worked. But do you understand? That is not smart. <laughs> that is not smart at all. It worked. I ran it like that for like a week and a half till I got everything, you know, I got it fixed, figured out. But you understand, just because it worked, here's my my, my, my point in this, just because it worked doesn't mean it was the best. Did that work? Oh, it worked. Was it the best? Oh, no, not the best. That was, that was me being a foolish barbarian, okay? I learned not too many years ago that, that my bachelor years were actually barbarian years. I mean, I did stupid. I one time we uh, um, at a, were at a friend's house. This is about, you know, r- roughly 1.32 in the morning, something like this. It was in February. We're there in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And, um, and it is February in, you know, Tulsa area. It's bitter, bitter cold. Anyway, so there's four of us there. And one of the guys says, you know what? I got this mattress. I want to deliver over to this guy. So I, said, I want to bless him with this mattress. I just I got a new mattress. I want to bless him with this other mattress. He needs one. So what do you, he's like, hey, what do you say we all just, just take it over there? Okay, sure. No problem. And he had a station wagon. And uh, kind of a, one of those small, small ones. Uh, but anyway, he had the station wagon. And uh, so we threw it up on top of that station wagon. Now, he didn't have any rope at all. Had no rope no tie downs he had nothing to tie down the thing with nothing at all and um so guess what we did well of course we had hands out the window (laughs) arms out the window hands holding the mattress on the top of the car now this is roughly two in the morning february tulsa freezing cold okay and we also didn't have any gloves so (laughs) so what we did was we put socks over our hands hands out the window and it was only about maybe i don't know maybe 10 miles away at the most something like that but still you know we wanted to get there as fast as we could because we were freezing cold but Uh, but the, the, so we'd go, oh, go faster, go faster. But if we went faster, the, the, the mattress would try to fly off because we're trying to hold it on. And so we go slow down, slow down, slow down, faster, 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 slow down, slow, fast, fast, slow, slow, slow. And so we're like jerking back and forth (laughs) driving. And you know what? We got it there. We got it there and we delivered it and everything else. And then you know what? The guy wasn't even home yet. We had to wait around for like 45 minutes or something for the guy to get home. But anyway, now it worked, but was that the best way? Not the best way. Okay. I mean, I tell you, I oh man, my goodness, so many different stories, um, and I'm not going to get into all those. I'm just saying, there's a whole lot of stupid things I did that worked, but just because they worked doesn't mean they were the best way. You know, one time I had a um, uh, this happened just last year. This like last year, I was getting ready to teach at school. It was a Friday night at the church, and um, and uh, I um, I got there and. Um, just as I'm as I'm getting ready for class, this is uh, like a, you know whatever 45 minutes before class or something like that. I'm walking around doing some stuff, and my belt broke. I had one of those like braided type belts. Anyway, it broke, and uh, and it was old belt, and I knew it was getting ready to, but it just broke. And so I went down to to the furnace room, storage room area down there. I found me one of them big fat uh, bungee cords. Now they have the S hooks on the ends of them. And it was this bungee cord was already missing one of his S hooks. So I took the other S hook off and I actually clipped my belt back together with an S hook. And now my, my shirt covered it so nobody even noticed. Nobody knew that I was wearing uh, S hook bungee cord belt thing. But it worked. Now the thing is, I don't, I don't look in the bungee cord section at the store when I'm looking for a new belt. I get a belt. But just because it worked doesn't mean it's the highest way. Okay, that's what I'm getting at here. Just because it worked doesn't mean it's the highest way. And what I mean, what, what my whole point is this, is that just because you've learned things from your past doesn't mean it was the highest way. Your past was never intended to be your teacher. Just like that bungee cord was never intended to be what fixed my pants, you know, that my hand was never intended to be a, a tie-down for a mattress. That was not ever its intention. Okay? That little space be, be, be beside my battery in my car was never intended to hold a gas can. Ugh! Um, but I, it worked. Okay, but what happens is is that our analytical soul still tries to place value on our past so we're trying to draw strength from our past. We're trying to get let it to be our teacher. It's never designed for that. It also is not my past did not qualify me for ministry okay this is a big one because we need to understand that what i went through in the past does not qualify me for the ministry god's called me to do and and i know i understand i know that people are like yeah but i really feel like i can minister better because i went through certain things that actually isn't true the Holy Ghost equips you for your, for, for your ministry. Jesus didn't go through any hurt as far as, you know, he didn't get abused as a child. He didn't go through, I mean, obviously he had normal stuff, but he didn't go through hurt, pain, abuse as far as, he didn't go through, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse or, or all that. He didn't go through drug abuse. He didn't, have, he didn't have this really nasty testimony and come out of this nasty testimony so that he could minister to people. No, he had a pretty, pretty successful ministry, right? But it was by the Holy Ghost. Paul said it this way. He said, I can be all things to all men, so I might save some. And yet Paul said, I don't need to go through everything to be able to minister to everyone. I do it by the Holy Ghost. And so I, I, I just don't want us to understand. I, don't want, I can't sit there and say, well, my past equips me for my ministry. If that's true, then my demographic is very small for who I can minister to. Because the culture I came out of is a unique culture. Just like any culture anybody comes out of is a unique culture. God doesn't want you to, to minister culturally. He wants you to minister by the kingdom, by the Holy Ghost. I was talking to a lady a while back. This was in the Midwest. And, um, and we were sitting there talking. And, and, uh, and she, she, she made the statement. She goes, you know, I just don't feel like I'm qualified for ministry. I don't I don't feel like I, I am and I'm like why is that you know because I know she's you know got a great heart and she loves God she goes well because I don't have this great testimony where I came out of all this stuff I was raised in church I loved God my whole life blah 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 and so here she was feeling like a victim to her past because she didn't go through anything oh my goodness come on we we minister by the Holy Ghost Now, like I said, there's some things that, that, granted, there's some things that, that I can identify with people about, but that doesn't make me a better minister. That just means I can identify. That's all that means. I minister by the Holy Ghost. We minister by the spirit of prophecy and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge by discerning of spirits. We minister by the gifts of the spirit, not by the gifts from our past. Our past has nothing to offer me in that respect. So we have to realize that I'm not a victim to my past, nor is it my source of supply. It doesn't give me strength. It doesn't give me an education. It doesn't give me uh, good teaching. It doesn't give me good experience. It doesn't give me uh, credentials for ministry. I need to reconcile that past. Find out what is my role, because if if I don't understand what the role is, then I'm I'm just going to I'm gonna. I have the wrong context, and it's going to define how I perceive my future. So, what is our role? Well, um, over in Isaiah 61, praise God. Oh, praise God. I know that I'm. I know I'm touching on some things here. I know it, but this is about dealing with stuff and realizing that it's it's as a man thinks, so is he. If I can change how I think, I'll change who I am. And so I have to. I have to take higher thoughts and confront lower thoughts with higher thoughts. But Isaiah sixty-one, and uh, this is uh, this is you know when Jesus over in starting in verse one, when Jesus is proclaiming his ministry, right? And in Isaiah sixty-one, it says, "The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn in Zion." to point unto them. To appoint, I love this, to appoint unto them in the morning eye, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Praise God. I mean, he's talking about, the, this is redemption, right? He's going, I'm going to redeem these people. They're no longer going to be called those who mourn. They're no longer going to be called those who are in ashes. They're no longer, No, they're, now they're trees of righteousness. They're the planting of the Lord. Now they're the oil of joy, praise God. This is who they are, praise God. This this is us, glory to God. This is who we are. Now here's the next thing, verse four. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Now this is huge. Now who's gonna be doing this? They, who's they? Well, that's us, right? This is what we do. Jesus already came and fulfilled the first couple of verses of this right and so he goes now here's what our role is I'll, we need to get this it says i actually repair the way cities the desolations of many generations there are generational things that have to be repaired and when when i get a hold of this 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 totally changed how i saw everything because i was still for years i was trying to reconcile my past And I went through the gamut of it. I went through the whole thing of of placing value on it and, and saying, well, it must be because I... Because you understand, here's the thing. Let me just make it real. God knew where I was going to be born, right? I could have been born anywhere, anytime, into any family, any generation. I could have been born when Jesus was on the earth. I could have been born anytime. But I wasn't. He knew when I was going to be born. He purposed me to be born then. He purposed, we need to get this. This is what our soul has a struggle with. Because when we begin to understand that he's sovereign in the the fact that he he created us, he willed us into being, and he could have created us at any moment in time, and yet he purposed us to be born into the families we were born in, into the circumstances. Now, he did not create the situation, right? He did not, you know, do any negative things to us. Only good and perfect things come from God. Praise God. Okay? But he knew I was going to go through that. He knew what I was going to be raised in. He knew all the hurts and pains and sorrows. He knew it all. And he purposed me there. See, this is what our soul has a problem with, right? And these are questions that a lot of people will try to avoid. But God doesn't mind these questions. It's just that I have to come in understanding that he has a high thought and a high way toward these things. And so I have to come in humbly and say, okay, Father, what's the deal here? Because I know, once again, I have I have to settle it. I'm not supposed to be a victim to any of that. You never wanted me to be hurt. You never wanted me to be in pain. You never wanted me to be abused or anything like that. Um, you, 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 that was not ever your will, but you knew I was going to go through it. You understand? Now, this is where your, your soul starts sitting there going, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> But then, like I said, what usually happens is then we try to put value on it. Now, I can't do that either. I can't sit there and say it was valuable to me because it gave me something blah, 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 blah. I can't do that. Because as long as I'm still valuing and drawing from my past, I'm not drawing from the Holy Ghost. If I'm drawing from my past, then my past is defining my future. Because the only thing I can draw from is that small little tiny thing called my past. I can't do that anymore. I have to begin to draw from the Holy Ghost. So the answer is this. I have to realize that my role in my past is the same as Abraham's role when God called him to the land of Canaan. Now you remember, God called him in Genesis chapter 12 and said, depart from the city of Ur to a land I'm going to call you to. Now now he came out of there and then he he wandered for a while, right? And then he came and he ended up dwelling in the land of Canaan, right? And he... he he he, uh, he dwelt there. That was his land. God said, I've given you this land. Now you understand that that land was at that point was not flowing with milk and honey. That land, in, if you read the beginning of, in Genesis, you find out that Noah's grandson was Canaan, right? Canaan was Noah's grandson. Canaan was the one who, dwelt, who, who established and, and, and you know, basically squatted and planted that land of Canaan. And God said in Genesis that Canaan would be would be cursed. So here Canaan is a cursed man. Canaan has no blessing on him. Canaan is a cursed man and he goes and he establishes the land of Canaan. So how do you think that land looked? That land did not look good. That land looked cursed. It resisted milk and honey. You know what I'm talking about? It resisted good things because it was cursed. And yet God, he chooses Abraham to, to go and... Abraham's going through all this wilderness and desert and all this other stuff. He ends up in the land of Canaan, and God's going, Here, Here's what I've got for you. Thanks, God. Huh? But do you understand? It wasn't because God wanted Abraham to experience the cursed land. He wasn't because he wanted Abraham to learn from the cursed land. It wasn't because he wanted Abraham to suffer and endure the cursed land to prove how much he loved God or anything. It was because he put the blessing on Abraham and he wanted the cursed land to be redeemed and reconciled back to God. And so he took the blessing, he put it on Abraham... And then he took it and he put Abraham in the cursed land so that that curse could be broken, praise God. This is who we are in our past. He did not put us in our past to endure it. He didn't put us in our past to learn from it or ex- or just experience it or anything else. He put us there to re- to to reconcile it. He put me in that place knowing that he was going to that I was going to receive the gospel, knowing that I was going to come to know him and love him and adore him and knowing that I was going to know my authority in Christ. Knowing I would take Isaiah 61 and I would actually read, I'd actually come unto the redemption of God. I'd be called a tree of righteousness. I would be comforted. and I would be the oil of joy for mourning. I would be all of those things. And I would come in and now suddenly I'd stand in the middle of my past. And the desolation of generations that came down the line. All the hurt and the pain and the confusion and the loss that came down the line and got to me. Now I can draw the line in the sand and I can say no more. Praise God, no more. Do you understand how powerful this is this? I am no longer a recipient. Just as a, I'm no longer just a recipient of the will of the Word of God, I am a carrier of the Word of God. I am a steward of the mysteries of God. I am a ambassador for Christ in the earth, and I do this. Isaiah sixty-one four, where it says, "I stand," and it, and it also says it in Isaiah fifty-eight. I won't turn there, but Isaiah fifty-eight. And verse 12 talks about the same thing, that we stand in the gap. We stand in the gap between these things, between uh, death and life. And we stand and we say, no more. Death no more has hold over this family line. And the greatest thing is this, is it says that he actually, notice what he says here in verse 4. That They raise up former desolations, they 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 repair the waste cities, and the desolations of many, there's a repair going on, there's a restoration of the desolation of many generations. So it doesn't just affect the present to the future, it actually affects the past. It, I can actually speak back into generations, and I can reconcile those things. Now, this is stuff that makes your mind kind of go weird, because your mind many times thinks so. We, we think so linearly that we don't understand eternal thought. Eternal thought has no beginning nor end. Eternal thought is what which what, that which was and is and is to come is all the same, and your mind kind of goes what. <laughs> But we need to understand: we are as born again children of the living God. We stepped over into that eternal plan of God when we got saved, and now we have an eternal call on our lives that we can speak into the past, and we can begin to redeem the past and reconcile the past. So that it, now this is amazing to me. Oh goodness! Okay. Um, huh. <laughs> I, I mean we need to settle that right now. That we we are we are conduits of reconciliation. We are not victims, we are any we are conduits of this, okay? We break the, the the pattern of temporal victimization when we begin to walk in eternal truth. We begin to speak eternal truth over that thing. Now, this is so amazing to me. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's turn over there. Praise God. I think we're getting this. I know I need to wrap it up here in just a couple minutes, but my goodness, there's, there's something else I need to get to. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know this verse. It says, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation, praise God. Old things are what? passed away. And behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, praise God. Here we are, we have the ministry of reconciliation. It says, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So here he begins this by saying that if you're a new creation, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have been made new. We look at that and it says all things are of God. And we say, Amen. We believe that. But, now is that true? Is that true? That is true, right? That's true. But just because that's true, I want to, I want to see this. Just because that's true, when you get saved, does it feel like old things have passed away? It doesn't. You still have memories, right? You still have the memory of the old stuff. And this is where people really wrestle with, because they don't know what to do with these things. And that's what I want to talk about real quickly, is what do I do with those memories? How do I reconcile my past? How do I actually break the the, the chain, break the back of the past? How do I break the chain of influence of my past to my future? How do I break that? Well, I have to walk in the ministry of reconciliation. Here he says, in the same context of saying old things have passed away and all things have been made new, he says... Uh, all things and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. So we see here that as we begin to partake in the ministry of reconciliation, we begin to receive the fulfillment of that reconciliation over the old things that are passed away. And so, until I begin to do this, now let me use this illustration here in Eugene. Over, you know, we have the the intersection. Of uh, uh, the Beltline Highway, you know, uh, I think they what do they call that now. And there's a couple different names for it, 569 and the Papé Beltline, whatever. but the Beltline, okay, the Beltline Beltline Highway, and then where it meets Gateway, the Gateway intersection there, and it meets I-5, all, all in that little area right there, right? I tell you, they have been working on that intersection for I'm not sure how many years. When we first moved back to Eugene, the first time when we moved to Eugene, it was 1998. And they were they they were working on it then. And then we moved away for several years. We came back and they're still working on it. And they're they you know just not that long ago they just finished up some of their stuff on it. And I don't know if they're still if they're done yet or not. But that that whole intersection, the interchange of how you get onto I5 from Beltline and on into the gateway area and all that, all that has changed so much over the years. Now, you know, we back in '98, we used to live in that area. You know, and um, uh, and so we, um, you know, we were in that area every day. We lived in that area. We lived in Overoff Gateway, and so we were in that area pretty much every day. Now, so we, we took the, the the certain interchanges and the certain ways. Now, right now, I can't even I can't even tell you how it used to be, even though I took it every day. It was a part of my everyday reality for a while. Right now, if somebody were to ask me how, how what was the old way to make that interchange, I couldn't tell you without really going back into my memory bank. you understand? It's, it's not right there. I don't know it. I can't just come up with that because it's not right there. Um, now, here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. is uh, Just, um, what was it, a few weeks ago, they had changed the way you get on I-5 from Beltline. And, um, and so they, 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 moved the exit ramp and, um, that, so now you have to, you go a little bit different way. Now, here's the thing. Now here I'm, this was a couple Sundays ago, Rachel and I, we were going up to Portland because I was visiting my mom up in the hospital. And so we're heading up to there. We had to get on I-5 and, and now we're sitting at the house, you know, getting ready to go. We get, we get up go early that morning. And, um, if somebody were asking me that morning before I left the house, if they would have said, did they change? the interchange? Did they change the exit from getting on from Beltline to I-5? I would have said yes they have. Because I knew that they had. I knew they had changed it. I knew that you had to take a a little bit different way uh, as far as they moved the exit from where it was. And so I I know. And they finished it. They're not even doing construction on it anymore. They finished that part of it. So That's a finished work. Here's what I'm getting at. That's a finished work, and I had knowledge of the finished work. And I agreed with the finished work. And there was no disagreement in me at all about the finished work. I believed that it was a finished work. And I would tell people that morning, if they were to ask me, I would have told them, it's a finished work. Okay. But now that morning when we are driving down Beltline and we're going to get on I-5 to go to Portland, guess what I did? I blew right by the exit. I mean, why? <laughs> because I was going to where the exit used to be, not where it is now. I blew right by it, so I had to go up into the Arco turnaround and turn, you know, as far as the parking lot turn around, come back and come the other way and get on the, on the ramp. Now, here's the interesting thing. I knew it was a finished work. I I would have been able to describe to you how it was done. I knew it was done. It was a finished work. I believed it. There was nothing in me in disagreement about it. But I still acted, I want you to see this, I acted like it wasn't a finished work. There was a muscle memory in me that was overriding my current information. This is huge. I'm talking about dealing with our past here. Because, you understand, I had taken the old exit a lot of times. And so even though I had information of the new exit and I didn't disagree with it, and I wasn't in rebellion against it, and I totally believed it, and it was a total finished work, and all of it was in reality, and I understood it, and I could tell people about it, I had a muscle memory tied to the way I used to do it. And so, So that that memory of me doing it a certain way overrode my current new information and even my current new belief and even my current new understanding of the reality of things. And I ended up passing right by that thing. Now, this is what happens in our life is that we know, it says right here, we know that we are a new creation. We know the Word of God. We have new information about who we are. We know what the Word says. We're not in disagreement to it. We're not in in we're not in, in rebellion against it. We're not in pride against it. We're actually believing it. If somebody comes up and asks us if we're a new creation and if we're redeemed and if we're healed and if we're blessed and if we're sanctified, we're we'll like yes, amen, we are, because this is what the Bible says. And I believe it and it's a reality and it's a finished work. But I can acknowledge the finished work all day long, but if but my muscle memory will still live like it's not a finished work. So my daily reality will be one as if it's not a finished work, even though it is a finished work. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know about... Have you ever run into that where you you don't know why you keep living the same way you've been living, even though you know the Word of God is true? Well, this is why. This is exactly why. The reason is, is because... Is, is because we haven't trained ourselves in the new work. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because, um, hmm. If I now no, okay, a couple days later I had to go back up to Portland to visit my mom again, right? And so I was going back up there. Now, guess what I did though? I didn't wanna I didn't want to go do the, I didn't want to go through the Arco parking lot again, right? So what did I do? As I'm coming close to the new exit, I'm paying attention and I'm purposing to not do what my muscle memory tells me to do. I'm purposing to do what is a finished work in, in the new reality that I know is available to me. And so I had to pay attention in the moment. I had to pay attention when I was about to exit. And so I exit, I did it just fine. But you see, now here's the, here's the thing. The more I do that... The more I do the new, the more I do the new, the more I do the new, the more I purpose to, to resist my muscle memory in the moment and I begin to appropriate the new, then what happens is it will displace my memory. So, like I said, right now, I can't, from, from back in 98, even though that was my daily reality, I can't tell you what that interchange looked like. I can't even tell you, even though it was my memory, it was actually my daily life. I can't even tell you, because my, my current action has displaced my past memory. This is what it says in James chapter 1, remember? James says, don't be just a, do- a hearer of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. Because if you're not a doer of the Word, then you'll see what manner of man you are in the Word. You'll actually see who you are in the Word, but you'll, for- you'll forget what manner of man you are. That tells me something, that action, okay, acting on the Word, displaces former memory. If I don't act on the word, then my old muscle memory takes over if I don't act in other words when I take the prophecy when I take the the prophecies given to us and I and I wage them I take them like a tool in my hand I'm not waiting for somebody to do something with I'm taking like a tool in my hand and I'm waging a good warfare with them I'm saying this is who I am this is not who I'm going to be this is who I am and I begin actually purposing in each moment to to take the word of God and live who I am then that muscle memory will be displaced now here's what I want to uh, man I don't I'm not going to get into this but I just want to pose this just kind of a pondering thing is if god can do anything if he if nothing is impossible for god then can he actually change my past can he actually change my past see people will get freaked out this is this is kind of what gives your mind kind of a hairball you know what I'm saying? You don't want a hairball? You know, you know, that your your mind can get that. But I just want us to kind of get just, just kind of ponder it just for a half a second. I'm not going this is not doctrinal, this is not theological, this is one of those things where I think, huh. Could God actually change my past? If he is not linear, if 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 what is and wasn't is to come is all the same to him, and can he actually change my temp? Because my past is just temporal. My past is just temporal. It's not made up of eternal things. There's only one thing eternal that I did, and that was choose Jesus, right? So now, my past is made up of eternal, of, of temporal experiences. Could he just change it? Could he make it as if it never, not just as if it, but could he make it not ever have happened? Who, that's an interesting thing to me. And here's a question. How would I know if he did? Because, you see, if he did then I would never have memory of it. And so I would never know. Maybe he's already done it. Maybe he's doing it right now. Maybe there's all kinds of things that happened in my past at one time and now it didn't happen anymore. I don't know. I don't want to freak you out, but I'm just saying. That when I begin to walk in the reconciling power of God, it deals with my past. So that once my past gets reconciled, now suddenly my future becomes defined by God instead of my past. Praise God. But here he says, I carry the word of reconciliation. Now, um, you know, the, the the one thing that, that I just kind of want to point out over, over in, in Luke. Go back over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I know I'm going a little long. I'm not going to apologize for that. This is this is stuff that's going to change how we appropriate the blessing of God, how we appropriate the prophecies in our life. I just don't want to keep running through the same old thing where, you know, prophecies come forth and we don't see it. We don't see the fulfillment of it. In Luke chapter 1, and this is after, okay, after the, the angels talks to Mary, Mary goes to, um, to Elizabeth's house, right? And so here he says in um in verse uh, 39, um, So the angel leaves. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah, entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Mary. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice Elizabeth. She's like, glory to God. The, the, the promise on the inside of her began to jump when she heard the voice of, of Mary. And then she begins to prophesy that... The, now, Mary, she never have not told anybody yet, right? but So Elizabeth, by the Holy Ghost, knows that she's she's pregnant, not only pregnant, but pregnant with Jesus, pregnant with the Lord. Glory to God. She begins to prophesy. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, and behold, from henceforth all generations call me blessed. For he that is mighty has done to me great things, and, and, his, his, and holy is his name. Now, and she just begins even speaking over herself. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Now, I just want you to see, she's just prophesying. She's speaking. Now, I love this. She, she goes over to Elizabeth's house, right? She knows that Elizabeth's pregnant because the angel told her. And she walks in the door. Now, number one, here's the one thing I want to get at, is are you hanging out with people who are also pregnant with a promise? you got to hang around people who are going to prophesy. You're going to have to hang around people who are speaking by the promise, not by a bunch of fear and lack and need. You can't hang around and and talk with people all over that that just are going to kill off the promise. you got to hang around people who are filled with the promise like you're filled with the promise. Praise God. Filled with the supernatural promise of God. She went over to somebody else who had a promise. She went over to somebody else who was just filled up, man, with the blessing of God. And and Elizabeth prophesies, and then Mary begins to prophesy. Now, what I love about this, too, is that Mary wasn't, she just heard from the angel. So she wasn't showing yet. She wasn't like six months along or anything. She just heard from the angel. She had no, no outward confirmation that she was pregnant yet. Do you see what I'm saying? She had no outward confirmation. She didn't wait for her physical circumstance to change before she began to speak who she was in the prophecy. Before she began to speak who she was. Now, this is awesome because as she began, even when she walked in and began to to greet Elizabeth, the promise on the inside of Elizabeth began to to, to leap. Praise God. I I'm just asking you, do your do your words cause the promises in people to leap? Are they full of life and joy? Are they full of the promise of God? Are they full of the power of God? Are they full of the prophetic word? We, you know, we need to get our words right. We need to understand who we are. Don't wait for the circumstance to change before you begin speaking out the prophecy. Before you begin speaking out the promise. Before you begin speaking out, but you don't do it just, you do it to other people who are full of the promise. Amen. Now, uh, the last thing is this: is that one of the things that I, I find so amazing about about Mary's journey is that she saw the fulfillment of the ministry of Jesus obviously as he was you know born supernaturally through the wise men you know through all these different things growing up and you know, when he was 12 speaking to the the doctors of the law the teachers of the law and the temple and all this and um, it says that she pondered these things in her heart, right? And then, of course, when he's 30 years old, he goes into ministry, and she follows him through ministry, and she knows, she knows that he's the Lord. She's, she's really the only one on the earth that beyond a shadow of a doubt knows that knows, 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 knows that he's the Lord. Because she's the only one that knows that knows and knows that she wasn't with a man before she was pregnant. I and mean, other people might believe her. Other people might do it by faith, but she just knows it, you know what I'm saying? She knows it. And so she watches him and she knows that he's the Messiah. She knows that he's the this savior. She knows all these things. And so she follows his ministry. And then she follows him for three and a half years, you know, as he, as he does these things. But the whole time, he's still her son, right? He's still her son. And so she has the heart of a mother over her son. Think about how she raised him. How protective would you be of not only your son, but the messiah, right? Serious protection. You have not seen a mother's protection until you probably saw her protection. Okay, but then I want you to see what she went through. What did she go through when he was beaten? What did she go through when all the scourging, all the different things, what did she go through when you know they brought him out looking mangled and bloody and just all just tore up? And, and they, they they offered to let him go. And the, and the people cried out, Crucify. And he was shifted from Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate again. All these different things. And here she is. Think about her heart. Think about what's going on in her heart. Number one, she's questioning, why did God sign her up for this? This is a lot of hurt. This is a lot of pain, right? This is torturing her soul. And she has to wonder, oh, God, why did you sign me up for this? You ever? I mean, I don't know if you ever felt that way, but man, it can get rough. I don't think I don't think any of us has felt what Mary felt. I mean, my goodness, she's watching this happen to her own son, and then she's standing there. I mean, she sees them beat him. She sees them pull his beard out. She sees them whip him and tear him apart physically, tear him apart so that he's not even strong enough to to walk up a hill with the cross. And then she sees them drive nails through his through his hands and feet she sees them hang him shamefully on a cross and he's bleeding out and it says that she's standing there at the foot of the cross i mean do you see do you do you understand the hurt and the pain that she's going through here and now, honestly, I'm, I'm sure she's she's questioning a lot of things, but even in the natural, what do you think she's feeling toward the people around her at that time? What do you think, what kind of emotion, I'm talking about real life emotion, as a mother, do you feel toward people that you watch beat your son to a pulp over and over again? You you, you see them, you see these people you know rip his beard out you see these people what do you feel toward them what kind of anger what kind of hatred what kind of of rage do you feel toward those people at that time i mean you know we have to understand that she's a real person with real emotions here watching her son go through this torture and then of course we know praise god 3 days later he gets risen from the dead oh praise god We know that she was there with the disciples. Forty days he was on the earth preaching the kingdom. But let me ask you this. Now he is, he's risen from the dead, right? He ascends into heaven. All that stuff is going to praise God. Glory. He's no longer dead. But him raising from the dead. I want you to get this. That finished work of him raising from the dead, does that take away from her emotion that she felt, from the feelings she went through, from the memory she had printed on her soul as she saw people violate her son like that, abuse her son, rip him apart physically like nobody else. It says that you couldn't even tell whether he was a man or a woman because he was so physically beaten and just tore apart does does i mean obviously she's rejoicing that he's alive she's rejoicing that that he is you know gloriously risen and that that there's the new birth praise god for all of that she's a new creation in christ praise god but does that do away with the memory of it no it doesn't and this is what i want uh, this is what i've been getting at is talking about reconciling the memory not allowing yourself to be held hostage to the memory we're ministers of reconciliation. And so here she is. She's in the upper room. It says in Acts chapter 1 that she was in the upper room with everybody. Right? 120 people. She's there. The, Baptist, the, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. She gets filled with the Holy Ghost. And then we know what happens. Acts chapter 2, right? After, the, after the, the, the day of Pentecost, Peter steps up, and he begins to preach the gospel to him. And he begins to say, so repent, all of you, for the, the, the forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like what you see in here now. And it says 3,000 people get saved that day. Now that's a glorious thing, right? That's an amazing thing. But I want you to see this. Who are these people? Well, there are people from all over. We know that. But there are also people from Jerusalem. There are also people that 50 days earlier, less than two months earlier she mary has imprinted on her on her heart this memory of what happened and what does she have what is her role right now what is her role at the day of pentecost she gets to go and she gets to tell them that they're free from their sins that they're free from any hurt from any pain from any guilt she has to loose them from any debt. She has to loose them from any sin they committed. You understand, these are the same people that she saw beat him. These are the same people she saw rip his beard out. These are the same people she saw spit on her son as they hung him on a cross. These are the same people who mocked him and and scourged him and, and and demeaned him in every way possible. And she shamefully... I mean, they, they, they shamefully hit, put him on a cross, and she witnessed it all. And now she has to stand there and witness to these people and say, and I'm going to offer you the same gift of freedom of life. You have a total forgiveness and total freedom. Now, I want you to understand, that is not a burden that was put on Mary. That was a doorway of freedom. She got to carry the Ministry of Reconciliation to these people so that she could free herself from the memory of the hurt and of the pain. That reconciliation breaks the back of it. The reconciliation, I tell you what, it destroys the power of the enemy. When you do not commit their trespasses unto them, but you become a minister of reconciliation, then old things have been been passed away and all things have been made new. Now, see, guess what? She had a muscle memory that says eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, right? That was in the Old Testament. She had a muscle memory that says, you deserve to feel guilty about what you did. You deserve to feel bad about what you did. You, You deserve to know the wrath of a mother. Muscle memory will say all of that. But she was looking at something new and said, nope, old things have passed away. So now what does she have to do? She has to re- become a reconciler of that past. So now she can look him in the eye and she can forgive them and minister the free gift of God of salvation and the gift of the Holy Ghost so they get the same thing that she gets. You so she, she has the same thing. She has the gift of the Holy Ghost and salvation. They get the exact same thing. She walked with Jesus, nurtured him all of his life, You know, did everything for him that she could, served him, walked with him, blessed him, did everything she could as the best mom she could be. They (laughs) despised him, beat him, killed him, did everything against him, and they get the same gift of salvation and the same gift of the Holy Ghost that she gets. Whoo! And now what she gets to do is she gets to be a minister of reconciliation because God did not want her to be a slave or a hostage to those past memories, so he gave her and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation so I can look at my past and I can reconcile. And all that means is I just begin to speak the power of God, and I begin to speak uh, that, that nobody owes me anything, all of that, but it's not just about me, you understand, it's not about me just forgiving people, I'm actually speaking forgiveness into generations, so that it breaks the, the bondage of all of that, so I know who I am in my future. The moment that I begin to begin become a minister of reconciliation, that's when I allow old things to be passed away, all things to be made new, and all things are of God. And it, it, comes, it, it transfers out of a mental ascent, just like I had with that exit ramp. It transfers out of that into being a reality of my everyday life. Praise God. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll wrap it up. Father, I just thank you, Lord God. Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom and Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to get new updates and check out our podcast page on Podbean to find all our previous posts and full-length messages. We'll see you next time and have a blessed day.